Okay, uh, it's Easter Sunday. Guess what I'm preaching about? Yes. Preaching about Jesus, huh? Anybody want to take a gander at what I'm going to talk about? <laughs> Spoiler alert, it has to do with something about him getting up. <laughs> so I just want to go ahead and put that out now because it's Easter and sometimes pastors put pressure on themselves. How can I, oh my goodness, it's Easter again. How many ways can I say he got up? Uh, well, I'm taking the pressure off myself. The dude got up. I'm going to preach about him getting up. You've already heard it before. Act like you never did. And then afterwards, we'll go eat breakfast, albeit not together. We're all going to go get something to eat. Amen. Okay, so get your Bibles. Get your Bibles and go to John chapter number 20. The gospel according to St. John chapter number 20. I'm going to talk about the gospel message of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. This is what the Resurrection Sunday is about. Now, there may be an historian, a, a purist in here that, that has done some research. Perhaps you've Googled the fact that Easter started as a pagan religion and we shouldn't be doing any of this stuff and having Easter egg hunts and all this stuff. Hush, okay? I don't care when he got up. I know the fact that he is risen, he is alive, and that's all we really care about. And so, deal with this. Okay, so, John chapter number 20, uh, starting at the first verse. If you don't have your Bibles, just look up on the screens. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. and We don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I love the way John refers to himself, the other disciple. The other disciple outran Peter, because he's younger, and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Peter arrived and went inside, slower but bolder. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He also, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Uh, it is my assignment uh, to preach from the subject needed, dead, and alive. Needed, dead, and alive. By your heads, let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection, amen. Uh, I like Western movies. Uh, my mother exposed me at a very early age to uh, Lone Ranger. Three fans. Uh, <laughs> Bonanza. 18 fans. <laughs> the Rifleman. I woke up a generation. That's, that's all baby boomers right there. The Rifleman. Uh, 
And then there were these wonderful, and I'm talking about the older movies, not, not the remakes, The Magnificent Seven, 310 to Yuma. Uh, they, they, these were some great movies, Unforgiven, classic movie. Uh, uh, th these these uh, cowboys on the uh, new frontier, the western frontier, uh, are trying to establish uh, uh, a homestead, their land, their, their, their uh, family unit, and they have uh, these, these bandits, these criminals, these, these uh, uh, rogue uh, people that don't want to uh, do the hard work of, of scratching out a, a living and, a, and, and working hard on land, and so they just want to rob people. And, and, and they rob people, they gain a reputation, and after they have gained their reputation, uh, somebody always puts out the proverbial wanted poster. The wanted poster says, uh, this person is wanted for whatever criminal act they did, uh, and we want them so bad that we don't care if you bring them back dead or alive. As long as they come back. Uh, if they come back dead, we'll just identify the body and be like, mm. Uh, if they come back alive, uh, we'll try them, kill them anyway. Uh, but just bring them back because we want them really, really bad. Uh, it's amazing to me uh, the vast difference that exists between wanting something and needing something. And anybody in here want some things? You, you legitimately want some things. You can participate, you can raise your hand, it's fine. Uh, uh, anybody need some things? You need some things, okay. W would you agree that, that, that your wants and your needs sometimes are not the same thing? Uh, so sometimes you want something but you don't need it. Other times you need something but you don't want it. Uh, uh, and you find yourself in the middle sometimes going, uh, I want this, uh, but I need that, and other times I really need that, but I, but I would want this, and uh, like, like you need a car, and, and so you're praying, God, give me a Maserati. <laughs> Just like to have one, and I'm your favorite child, and so please give me a Maserati. And, and God's response is, it starts with an M, <laughs> doesn't have as many syllables, Mazda. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my father in heaven. Or you were at the nine o'clock service. <laughs> you want a Maserati? You don't need one. Depending on your commute to work, you'd probably just need a bike. Wants and needs are two different things. You, you may want, ladies, a coach bag. The truth of the matter is you just need a bag. A Walmart bag would actually, <laughs> honestly, if you just need to carry something, a Walmart bag <laughs> would help you out, okay? Wants and needs are two different things. As we talk about the gospel narrative and that message, uh, there is a difference between what we wanted from Jesus, what many people want from Jesus, and what we actually needed from Jesus. What I have to say about this message, we all know. So I'm not saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but I do 
want to at least highlight the points that our profession of faith is absolutely ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous to believe what we believe uh, as, as Christians, as those in the party of Jesus Christ. Those that profess him as Lord and Savior, I completely understand why unbelievers look at us like they're crazy. It's the reason why I don't argue with unbelievers, because I once was, was an unbeliever and I completely get them. Talking about Jesus the way we do is the equivalent of talking about a magical unicorn. It makes absolutely no sense to them. It might as well be a pink elephant in the room and we're the only one that can see it. Why? Because of the impossibilities that bookend his life. The moment we give our life to Jesus Christ without taking a Bible class, without going to seminary, the profession of our faith is that he was born of a virgin. That's enough to run anybody out of the room. That we believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary's body. He was born. She conceived him. He was born. And he is God and man the same time. It would be one thing if we were just talking about his miracles. Those are outlandish enough. But it's what we put in front of those miracles that bothers people. That this virgin woman could conceive a child without any assistance from a man and give birth to who we say is God's son and that that baby would grow up at 30 years of age, start an earthly ministry that lasted for about three and a half and completely revolutionized the world to the point it split time in half. That our calendars for centuries would be uh, uh, governed by before his life and after his death. Miracles that he does in his earthly ministry are astounding. Deaf ears come open. Blind eyes can see. The lame begin to walk. The poor get happy. The dead are raised to life. It's ridiculous. And it's the truth. And that his life, as he lived it, bothered religious people so much that they wanted him dead. They could not get over the fact that this man refused to fit into their religious box and the way that he would deal with people and claim to be a prophet of God. And go further to claim that he is the son of the living God. They couldn't take it. So they said, this guy, oh my goodness, we have to kill him. They bring him up on some very trumped up charges. Put him in the most biased court ruling you could ever imagine. Illegal from a Jewish standpoint. No due process. They say this man has to be sentenced 
to die. They wanted him dead. The difference between what religious leaders wanted from him and what those that needed to be in a relationship with him, the difference is they wanted him dead. We needed him dead. They wanted to end his life because it did not fit in the box of religion that they wanted him to fit in. We needed him to die to break out of the box of bondage that we were in. What you want and what you need are two different things. They wanted him dead. Caiaphas, the high priest, says something that is absolutely profound and prophetic. He says, uh, uh, one man should die for the whole nation and not the whole nation itself. He was actually prophesying about the death of Jesus Christ. And you guys know this. They kill him. He is crucified on a cross. He is hung up. Stretched out. And dying. For our sins. Please don't think of me as sacrilegious when I tell you that I have never seen the passion of the Christ. And the reason why I haven't seen the passion of the Christ is not because I don't think it's a good film. I just do not believe that anybody in Hollywood can depict the crucifixion properly. Not because I think there's inaccuracies to it. But because I have such a vivid imagination and when I read scripture and what it tells us about his crucifixion on the cross, I don't think Hollywood has come close. Because as we understand through scripture, his death on that cross rendered him unrecognizable. He was beat to such a pope. He was bruised in such a way. Skin lacerated all over the place, thorns, swollen face, blood everywhere. As the sins of you and I crossed over his head, it's like God was trying to squint to see if that was his son or not. Don't think of it as a man with a few drops of blood hanging naked on a cross shamefully. Think of a pulverized lump of meat, bloody, swollen, and ripped open so bad that not even his mom could recognize him if it had not been for the sign above his head that said, King of the Jews. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the reason why it was so unrecognizable is because it needed to represent who all of us should have been on that tree. That as God looked over the balcony of heaven and kind of squinted, he said, is that Jesus or is that Tim? I can't tell, is that Jesus or is that Christopher? I can't, is that Sharon or is that my son? He's bleeding so profusely, his body, is so broken, we can't tell who it is. And there he hung until all of our sins 
had passed over his head. There he hung in excruciating pain until we were in the rearview mirror and not right in front of his face. And he did this before we knew to ask. He did this before we knew to come. He did this off of a maybe. Maybe if I die, they'll come. No guarantee, but just maybe. Now, can I just be honest here and say that I could not be Jesus? I would never die on a maybe. If I died for your sins, <laughs> trust and believe. You're going to serve me. <laughs> if I died for your sins and you attempted not to acknowledge me, the way I would haunt your dreams, though, <laughs> the way you wouldn't sleep peacefully ever again, though, the way you would wake up with me in your face every morning like this, I would creep you into serving me. If I have to endure that pain, you're going to serve me. But think of a man who died off of a maybe. I will not force you. I will not manipulate you. But I will do it just in case it ever occurs to you that your life, the way you're living it, is not giving you the satisfaction in a spot in your life that you really need it. I'll die for that. I'll die for every generational curse that you had nothing to do in but you were born into. I'll die for every lie that you've spoken. I'll die for everything that you've stolen. I'll die for every attitude that is bad that you've had. I'll die not only for your actions but the thoughts behind those actions. I'll die. And I will respect your decision to walk away and never acknowledge me, but just in case you ever want to open up your heart, I don't care if you do it when you're five years old or when you have five minutes left in your life, I'll accept it. And he died. He breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. Must be understood that there's a difference between something being taken and something being given. That in his generosity, he did not have his life taken. He gave it. No man can take my life, but I can lay it down. I, I can give it to you as a free will offering. This wasn't forced upon me. I want to do it because it's my father's will for me to do. He dies. And two interesting people show up. Like it's not Peter and John. It's not James and Andrew. It's not Levi. It's not Judas, it's, it's Nicodemus. Nick shows up. 
Nick shows up. This is the same guy that came to Jesus at night surreptitiously to have a conversation because he didn't want to be outed and be seen with him in public by the other religious leaders. He comes on the day of his death proving that even the most religious among us really want relationship. And another guy shows up who's equally more random. Actually, can't be equally and more. He's actually more random than Nicodemus showing up. It's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And who is this guy? There's no cameo appearance of Joseph anywhere else in the scriptures. But he shows up in this moment and asks for Jesus's body. Now, you have to be a man of great influence and some means, some wealth, to walk past Roman guards into the presence of Pontius Pilate and ask for the body of a dead criminal who has stirred up so much ruckus, it would be better to just leave him alone. Joseph walks into Pilate's presence. He says, hey, I would like to take the body for burial, and I've already purchased a grave. And Pilate says, okay. And so with Nicodemus on one side and Joseph of Arimathea on the other side, they lift up Jesus's dead body and strategically place it in what is a borrowed tomb, borrowed on purpose because he won't need to stay there long. What's interesting to me about who is bookending Jesus is that you have someone from the religious space on this side and you have someone from the marketplace on this side and they lift Jesus up to a place that he is supposed to be for a short period of time. Ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you is that one of the reasons why we don't see Christ lifted up in culture uh, the way we want him to is because uh, by far we've usually had only uh, people on the religious side trying to lift him up. And you can't lift up someone unless you have help. And so the religious side has had Jesus by the feet, and instead of having someone on the other side to lift him up to the place that he belongs, we drag his body around and get mad that no one wants to put him where he needs to be. There is a reason why there's a mandate here at Embassy City Church to equip believers to become ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Because we want people from the religious space, the sacred space, and people from the secular space that agree that this man is important. And that with you on one side and me on the other, we can lift him up to where he belongs so that the whole world can see that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. They put him in a tomb. I'm pretty sure at this point, hell's having a party. They think they've accomplished their goal. They finally got rid of this person. And he's there for three days. And on the third day, the Holy Spirit goes into a borrowed tomb. And his spirit goes into a dead body and brings it back to life. Do you see why people think that our narrative is ridiculous? Not only do we have the audacity to say that he was born of a virgin, we go even further and say he does all kind of miracles. Then we go further and say, yeah, he died, but then he got up. And when he got up, he had a glorified body 
that wasn't bleeding, wasn't bruised, wasn't bloody, but still kept the scars. It's important to keep your scars. That's the testimony that God gives you. You have to keep the scars. If you try to hide the scars, then you're hiding what he did. If you try to edit the testimony, then you're embarrassed of where he brought you from. And God is looking for people that are just dead enough that when he resurrects you, he can take your entire story and bring it in front of people who would never believe that you could get out of your situation. And he can prove that what he did for his body, he also does for our bodies. Romans 8 and 11 tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us. And just as God quickened our mortal bodies through the same spirit, he can raise us up. He, he gets up. And I love it because it's, it's how he gets up. <laughs> it's not Bruce Banner turning into the Incredible Hulk. Wrapped up in his grave clothes. <laughs> Kick open the, 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 the stone. <laughs> Thought you killed me. <laughs> Thought I was going to lay there, didn't you? Ha! I'm up! Thought you had one. No! I'm up! Here's what I love about Jesus. Even in the most incredible moment in human history, he was still humble. Can God raise you up and you still be humble? Can God bring you out of the darkest time of your life and you don't use it as a time to smear it in the people's face that killed you, but you use it as an opportunity to heal them? He got up quietly, took off those linens, folded them up, this is not a jailbreak. He didn't wake up like, oh. Oh. Is, there any, is there a guard outside, you guys? Hey, Michael, get my back. Cover that guy's dude, his eyes with your wings. And I'm, no. He gets up, he folds his clothes, he takes the death napkin that was over his face, he folds it and puts it very neatly. Um, and, and, and there's all this speculation of how he got past the rock. I, I, I don't know exactly how it happened. Uh, uh, we do know that the stone was rolled away, okay? Uh, and I think the stone had to be rolled away because uh, the, the stone in front of him uh, was not as important as the stone behind him. The chief cornerstone was looking at a stone and that stone had to roll away. Rolls away, he walks out, doesn't even bother the Roman guards. They get to stay there. Doesn't tap him on the shoulder, doesn't witness to him, doesn't advance him, just walks away. And there's an empty tomb. This is where our story in Luke chapter number 20 picks up. He's not there. Mary sees that he's not there and goes to tell Peter and the other disciple Jesus loved, John, 
And they run. They run really fast down to where the tomb is. John gets there first, but he's too scared to go in. Peter gets there a little bit after him. <sighs> Sees John kind of at the door like, mm-mm, you go first. Because I'm not, I'm not sure. Peter walks in, looks around. John can hear from the entrance. Peter's not getting roughed up by anybody. There's no trap. John walks in, looks around. <laughs> and I love what the scripture says. They just went home. <laughs> I, I love it. Because that's exactly what we're going to do after you hear this message. <laughs> we're about to do the same thing. We, we, we're just about to go home. But, but, but here's what I love. They walk in, it's empty. They haven't even seen him yet. And John says, I believe it now. There's nothing in his mind that says, okay, somebody could have came and got him, could have been a grave robber. He walks in and then it says, we had not, it, not, it had not yet dawned on us what the scriptures had said, specifically Psalm 16 and 10, that you will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. It's amazing when faced with a situation that you didn't think you were going to be coming out of, when God does it, he reminds you of his word. They're standing there, and they were, ah, oh, ah, oh, that's what you meant. The, whole, the Holy One won't write, you meant, oh my, you was really getting up. Because like, I didn't know at first, because you know, you're good at metaphors, Jesus. You had got us with the whole eat my flesh and drink my blood thing. And we thought that was literal. And um, thankfully it wasn't. You was talking about some bread and wine. So like, I didn't know if it was like, you know, kind of like metaphorical, like I'll get up in your souls. <laughs> like my thought will resurrect in you all the words that I told. They're like, yeah, you're, but you're dead. So we're good. They walk into the tomb and they see that he's not there, and they're like, oh, you were serious. Like, you, the metaphor about the, I'm glad that was, you know, just bread and wine, but you, like, you're, 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 you're up. You're really up. I was coming to church this morning, Nathan and Noah were in the back seat. Put the car in reverse, I started slowly coming out. I said, boys, you know what today is? He said, yep, it's Easter led by my seven-year-old, the talker. He got that from somebody. I said, yeah, but what does Easter mean? Well, you know, God got up from the grave like after three days, so like it was a Saturday, then it was like a Sunday, then it was like a, a Saturday, it was a Friday, then it was a Saturday, then it was a Sunday. I was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I mean, I don't remember it happened, but I believe it. And, and, and I thought for a moment, wait a minute, what did you just say? He said, I don't remember that happening, but I believe it. And I thought to myself, this may be the greatest answer any believer could ever give in their entire life. I don't remember it happening, but I believe it. I was not there when it happened, but I believe it. I don't need to have footage that it happened. I believe it because the person that did it is on the inside of me.
Maybe you want him to be a hitman. For every bad thing that happened in your life, you want Jesus to come in and slay everybody that has ever hurt you. Sick him, Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus, you die in Jesus' name. I'm pretty sure he came to do the opposite of that. Maybe you want him to be someone that just waves his hands and gives you a mansion, but you can't even steward your apartment. What we want him to be and what we need him to be are two different things. Here's why it was entitled Needed, Dead or Alive. The statement is reciprocal. We needed him to die, but we also needed him alive. His death forgave us, but his resurrection raised us. His death took care of the past. His resurrection takes care of our present and our future. So we needed him dead and alive. But he also needs us to do the same. He, he needs us dead and alive. He, he needs you to be pretty dead to the old thoughts, old behaviors, old habits, old attitudes, old friendships. Old paradigms of thoughts. He needs that to die. And he also needs to come alive in you his character, his attitudes, his thoughts, his ways, his actions. That you can stand in front of the person that may have tormented you or hurt you or belittled you. And with unfailing love and respect say, I still love you in the same way Christ does. I may need to put a boundary around you, but I love you. What do you need today? If there was one thing that you needed today, not, not what you want, but if there's if there's something you need, because when you push to a need, it gets past the selfish part of you. What do you need today? And if you didn't come back until next Easter, and there's one thing that you would say, you know what, I'm not stepping in church again until Mother's Day. But if you could pray for one thing, here's what my need would be. What does that look like? And why don't you allow today to be the day that you allow him to roll away the stone of your life and whatever's blocking you and to take a situation that you thought was dead and bring it back to life. He's needed, dead, and 
alive. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I thought about this. This is the first time that I'm preaching a Easter message as a senior pastor. But this is the last time that we'll ever be in this high school. And I thought about the first and the last of that. I thought about the alpha and omega of that. I thought about the beginning and the ending of that, that God likes to begin some things and end some things. That there is a time to live and there is a time to die, as Ecclesiastes says. Today, what, what, what's a thing you need to live? And what is maybe one thing you need to die? We always tell people to bow your heads and say, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And if that's unfamiliar language to you, what does this talk about Holy Spirit? It, it just means that there, there is a voice, a whisper. You know it's not you. But it is a person, it's a spirit. And he brings people to Jesus. You might be here right now and you know something you did not know three hours ago, and that is Jesus is Lord. Maybe you didn't believe it before. Maybe you've heard every sermon under the book, but there's something about today. I, I was born and raised in church, and I heard the gospel message for 20 years, but on January the 14th of 1996, I didn't hear a message being preached. I heard a person telling me Jesus is Lord. In a moment, we're going to Stand and sing one more worship song. And at that time, if you need prayer for any reason, we would ask you to come. I know you could pray from your seat. But there's something significant when you just partner with somebody and pray with them. The altar ministry team is here. If you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ, what an incredible day to do it. If you're already a believer, but you just need some prayer for something that you're going through, if you feel, as Juliet said earlier, like that there is a stone in front of your circumstance or situation and you're starting to see that crack, you're starting to see light on the other side and now you would like to walk towards that light, that purpose, then we wanna pray with you. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for this simple message that will never get old. Jesus, thank you for dying. Holy Spirit, thank you for raising. Now, God, I pray that you would draw every heart that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet?